Great. Hey, it's great to be with you guys today. My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. So in, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're going to be in the end of chapter 2, starting in verse 23, into the first six verses of chapter 3. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible or your Bible app, to take a look at that. We'll have the verses on the screen, but you'll probably want to refer to them as well in your own seat um, on the way as we go through our message today. We're in a mini-series within Mark. We're in this mini-series we're calling Confronting Religion. And so this is Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders of his day has caused us to ask some really important fundamental questions about what it means to be a person of faith, to be a, a follower of, of God or of Christ in our world today. So we're really going to ask a couple of big questions today as well. And our episodes we're going to look at become case studies in answering those kind of questions. So we're really starting today with a very big question for people of faith. The question is, what pleases God? What pleases God? What does God want from you? And you probably have some answers to that based on your experience growing up or however, you've, however you have experienced faith life and church life and so forth. Maybe you have some assumptions about what pleases God, what that looks like and why we do it. But when you look at religion, a lot of religions, take all religions around the world, religious people of various kinds, it seems like it boils down to, to one simple thing for many, that what pleases God is to keep the rules. For example, for example in, um, let's say in Islam, the Islam uh, has five pillars of, of behavior. The five pillars include, for example, a praying five times in the direction of Mecca every day. That, that's a basic um, commitment for a, a someone who is a serious Muslim. Now, I grew up in a religious culture. I grew up in a, my religious culture. We observed the Sabbath quite seriously. We didn't shop on Sunday, even though Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday is in the Bible, but we didn't shop. We didn't buy gas. We didn't eat out. We didn't watch TV. We didn't do um, outdoor activities like sports and things like that. Um, the Sabbath was set aside for going to church and reading the scriptures and, and spending family time together. Every religion has its own list like that in one form or another, and certainly biblical Christianity has commandments that God has set before us to follow. But there's some deeper questions in play when you start to, to break that down. And we're going to look at that in the passages that we're looking at today. The first one is what rules are actually from God and which ones are, are kind of made up by human beings. And how do you differentiate? What, what, what has God called us to do versus man-made religious expectations? And the second one is why did God give us the rules? And in the traditional religious perspective, the rules are a way to prove ourselves to God. And it often functions as a way to compare ourselves to others. And when we take, we take the commandments of God and we turn them into a way to prove ourselves to him or to compare ourselves to others, then that's, that becomes what we call legalism, where it's all about the, the laws and the rules become more important than other factors and other principles. And so today we're going to look at what Jesus said about that idea and actually how Jesus turns the whole 
concept of religion really upside down on its head. And so um, in this series, to bring you up to speed, we talked about how Jesus is greater than toxic religion. We talked about how he says there's really only two kinds of people in the world. There are not just good people and bad people, but people who think they're righteous and people who know they're sinners. And then last week we talked about um, how the religion police like to take activities that express our faith and turn them into ways to control other people. And so today we're, we're going to ask again this question, why do we obey God? What does God want from us? Why do we obey him? What's our core motive for following him? And we'll see how this question plays out in two encounters that Jesus has with the religious leaders. These two encounters go together. One's at the end of chapter 2. The other one's at the very beginning of chapter 3. They both involve episodes that took place on the Sabbath day. Both of them involve disputes about what was allowed or not allowed on the Sabbath. And so today we're going to use that as our backdrop. We're not going to really delve in so much into the Sabbath and, and, and all of its meaning for us today, but we're going to use those as case studies to try to answer this bigger question about what pleases God and why do we do it. Okay, so before we dig in, it's probably helpful to look at um, some background on Sabbath keeping. Right? Because observing the Sabbath was one of the ten original commandments. Remember those ten commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai to give to the people of Israel as part of their covenant with God? And, and they were very important. And they became also very important in the Judaism of Jesus' generation. And so here's where that comes from. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20 to see the original um, formulation of this particular commandment on the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week, each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And so the key principle is you have six days to do all the things you need to do to make a living and to take care of business and so forth. But there's this seventh day that's, that's set apart not for those actual ordinary mundane purposes of life, but set apart for, for God. He says, don't do any work on the seventh day. Again, that's in the Jewish calendar of reckoning that's on Saturday. Don't do work. Don't make your, your servants do work. Don't expect your family to do work because it's to be a day of rest. Just like God created the whole universe in six days and on the seventh day God rested, God says that's the same paradigm for you in your life because we need rest, and we need time to pursue God. Freed up from the, late, the, the burden of work, we have time to worship and time to cultivate a relationship with him. So it's a day that's dedicated to him. Now, what's really interesting when you study the Sabbath is that as important as this principle is in the Ten Commandments, the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament actually says very little about how to put that into practice. 
There's very little about what constitutes work, what doesn't, what can you actually do on the Sabbath day and what is prohibited for doing. It doesn't give us a list, a checklist of like, you can't do this, you can't, you can't do that. Now, there's, a, there's only, I can only find one um, prescriptive case where in Exodus chapter 35, it said, don't light a fire on the Sabbath day. And then there's a, I could find a couple of descriptive situations where in Numbers 15, a man was punished for gathering wood on the Sabbath. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, Israelites in general were, were rebuked. They'd come back from exile in Babylon. They were rebuked for doing business on the Sabbath. And there's all the stores were open and the uh, merchants and everybody were doing business on the Sabbath. But beyond that, there's very little, if anything, in the Old Testament that says this is how you observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so, without that kind of specificity and those kind of guidelines, the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day started adding their own Sabbath rules, creating their own lists of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Because they were so serious about keeping God's law, they didn't want to even come close to, to, to violating the law of God in this matter. So they created all kinds of these rules as a buffer to keep themselves and others from ever possibly even stumbling into a, a violation of Sabbath. The rabbis of the day called that building a fence around the law. It was like you live near the freeway. You say, it's not enough to tell my kids, don't cross the sidewalk. I'm going to put up a fence, too, so that they have to obey me. That was the spirit that the rabbis did. For example, well, it varied from one rabbi to another, but some of those rules were, were like this. Um, the rabbis said, don't draw any water from the well on the Sabbath. They said, you can't walk more than about one-third of a mile. Um, you know, so I don't know why they decided that you know, if you take that one extra step, now you're suddenly working on the Sabbath, but one less step, you're not. But that was one of the rules. You can't carry anything from inside the house to outside the house, and you can't carry anything from outside the house back to the inside of the house. That was one of their rabbinic rules. You can't assist in the birth of an animal on the Sabbath. That would be considered work. Now, none of these things are in the Bible. None of these things are, are defined by God for his people, but in an attempt to apply that principle of don't work on the Sabbath, so they came up with all of these regulations and all of these things you, that you ex were expected to obey. So that's a little bit of background on the Sabbath as we move into the, the uh, era of Jesus. And so that's going to help us, I think, to understand now how Jesus challenged the kind of religion that Judaism had become by then. And so I want to focus in these two sections, chapter 2, chapter 3, on two complaints that the Pharisees made against Jesus. Two complaints. The first one had to do with harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. Now, in this chapter, we've been introduced to the Pharisees now more than once. I want you to remember that the Pharisees were reformers who wanted to purify Judaism. Judaism had come under the influence of Greek Hellenistic culture. It had come under the influence more recently of Roman pluralism. And so the, the Pharisees arose to try to bring Judaism back to its original roots. That was their intention. I'm not sure that they accomplished that or not, but their heart was right. Their heart was they wanted to get people back to observing the law of Moses. And so part of that was how 
vigorous they were about creating all these new rules to try to purify Judaism. Now, as, even though that's commendable on the face of it, there's a, at least a couple of problems in their approach. First of all is the problem is whenever we elevate our applications of God's word to become equal with God's word itself. That's what they did. They said, this is what you have to do on the Sabbath, and they, and they, and they raised that to the level of the Sabbath command itself. And, and so what happens and when we do that is we effectively, we diminish the word of God to the level of our own opinions and our own applications. That, that undermines the authority of God's word. And like the Pharisees back then, a lot of Christians do that today as well and say, this is how you have to live this principle and then elevate it to as if it was the word of God. But the second problem that's more germane to the passages we're looking at today in this Pharisee approach is when keeping the rules becomes more important than the welfare and well-being of people. When love takes a backseat to legalism, and we're going to see examples of that in just a moment. So, so here we go. The first complaint in Mark chapter 2 that, G, that the Pharisees made against Jesus is that his disciples were breaking the Sabbath by harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields... His disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Well, first of all, that their, their complaint about harvesting grain, really, really kind of ridiculous because the disciples weren't out laboring in the fields. Like if they were, if they were farmers, they would have been laboring six days. They would have been working hard to bring their, 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 uh, their crop in to sell. But they were just hungry, so they picked a few kernels along the way. And that was, that was permissible in the law in general, not without respect to the Sabbath. But the Pharisees said, no, no, you're working on the Sabbath. You're harvesting grain. Really? And, and Jesus' response to that complaint shows us that <clears throat> what they were doing was Okay. Now, Jesus' response was not, oh, it doesn't matter what you do on the Sabbath, go ahead and do anything. But his response was, look, you've taken this principle too far and you've taken it in the wrong direction. And he wants to show them what the proper direction of God's law really was. And so you see his response in verses 25 through 28. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God the house of the Lord, that's a typo, the house of the Lord during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So Jesus tells this Old Testament story involving one of Israel's greatest heroes, King David, to point the Pharisees toward the heart of God's law. Now, this originally happens in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and about the time when technically David did break the Old Testament law. 
because loaves of bread were kept in the tabernacle. They were sacred because they were set apart for God's use, the use of God's priests. And when something was set apart or holy in the Old Testament, by definition, that meant that it was not available to be used for any common, ordinary purpose. And so it wasn't meant to just feed any, anybody. And yet David and his companions ate that bread. Here's the situation. They were on the run from King Saul. Saul was trying to kill David as a potential rival. And so they were out fearing of being caught. They feared for their lives. They were starving. And the only food that was available for them was this sacred bread. And in the story, original story, there's no condemnation implied in the story of David and his men doing that. They weren't vandalizing the tabernacle. They didn't go in with the intent to dishonor it. In fact, the high priest himself gave them that bread. They're just going to bake some more tomorrow. But from that, that story lands because the Pharisees would not have condemned David for doing that. The Old Testament does not condemn David for doing that. And so, so Jesus is saying, look, this is points us in the direction of a more important underlying principle about the Sabbath. And I believe it applies to all of God's commandments. The Sabbath is our case study today. And he says it, he says it right here. He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So Jesus says, look, the purpose of the Sabbath is human welfare. The purpose of the the Sabbath is is for people to thrive. It was made for people, not the other way around. Whereas religion often treats commandments as if their number one primary purpose was to be a way to measure ourselves before God or with other people. The commandments are somehow a way for us to, be, to prove our worthiness to God or you know, to raise our esteem in the religious community, whatever it might be. Jesus says, no, the commandments were given to help people thrive in a broken world, in a world where we work too hard and we need rest, in a world where if our employers would, would have it, we'd be working seven days a week. 12-hour days. God says, no, people need rest. People need to recharge physically, emotional. People need time because they don't have to be nose to the grindstone all the time. They need time to cultivate their relationship with me, time to worship, time to reflect, time to meditate, to get a little away from the daily grind. People, God says, look, this is for human beings to thrive. It's a gracious gift of God for us, reflects his love for us. And so, if religious rules, even the ones that God has given, if those are used in a way that places the rule itself above the needs of people, then it's gone off base. It's gone off the rails. And yet so often in toxic religion, what was intended by God for human thriving actually becomes a heavy burden that crushes people and and sucks out their soul 
and devastates and destroys. That's not what God intended. And certainly the extra religious rules that, that people create to add to what God has said, those certainly were not created for human thriving. Those are created for all the legalistic reasons we've already mentioned. I'm so grateful for God's care and concern for us reflected in the boundaries that he set up to protect us from life in a broken world. Now, by the way, what right did Jesus have to say that he knew exactly what the Sabbath was all about compared to these rabbis? Was this just another rabbinic opinion? No, he says, look, the, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, the Son of Man is a title that Jesus often used for himself. So he's not talking about some other person. He's talking about himself and maybe as we go through Mark, another week we'll have time to dig into the meaning of that title and the significance. We don't have time to do that today. But for now, Jesus is declaring himself to have authority over the Sabbath and thus authority over the law of God. And so he has the right to tell us what the Sabbath is really all about, that it's about God's love and care for us. So... That's the first of the two encounters Jesus has on the Sabbath about how to, how to live it and what it means. The second one is starting in chapter 3, verse 1. He has another encounter with toxic religion having to do with the Sabbath. And apparently this happened on later the same day, although we're not totally sure because sometimes in the Gospels the writers will group things thematically rather than chronologically. So as you read through the Gospels, they're not entirely always chronological, and that's why sometimes Matthew takes the same event as Mark and puts it in a different place. There's no rule that says that the Gospel has to be chronological. So Matthew's going, hey, we're talking about Sabbath and the meaning of Sabbath, so let me, let me introduce this other episode as well to make the same point in a different way. So it may have been the same way, the same day. It may not. But what we see in chapter 3 is... The healing of a hand. <clears throat> Jesus wants everybody to see in his encounter with the Pharisees in this event that what matters to God is love and not just a legalistic obedience to the rules. So let's look at Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This sets up what's going on. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath... Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they would not answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So everybody notices um, this guy with the, with the deformed hand there in the synagogue that day. And Jesus' opponents said they're hoping he'll heal the guy. But not because the guy was suffering, not because they wanted him to be whole and restored again. 
They were hoping Jesus would heal the guy because they were looking for a reason to condemn him as a lawbreaker. And they wanted to, to paint him as a violator of God's commandments. So yeah, please heal the guy on the Sabbath. And then we saw how Jesus responds to them. He decides he wants to expose their hearts and expose their underlying attitudes. So he brings this guy in front of everybody, right up in front of the whole synagogue. He says, come on up here for a second. And he asks the, his critics a question. It's a twofold question, same question framed in two different ways. The gist of the question Jesus asked them is really, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? It's the very same issue that he dealt with at the end of chapter 2, just framed in a different kind of situation. What's the purpose of the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath a day for doing good, or is it a day for doing evil? And by the way, the implication of that question is that it was actually the Pharisees who were breaking the Sabbath at that time because their evil intention toward Jesus. But, you know, that's the thing about religion, toxic religion in particular. What only, only what counts is what you can see and measure on the outside. Jesus says, no, what counts is motives and the reason why we do things and the underlying heart attitude of it. And, of course, they refused to answer because there, there was no good answer that they could give. <clears throat> now, in Mark, in his gospel, one of the things we see as we go through that the whole gospel is that he gives us this very intimate picture of the humanity of Jesus. He shows Jesus tired, hungry. Here he shows us the emotions of Jesus. Jesus is mad. Jesus is angry. He is angry at the way religion can be hurtful to people. He's angry at the way that religion can miss the heart of God and kill compassion. That's what makes Jesus mad. But he's also sad. He says he's sad about the hard hearts of these Jewish religious leaders. Jesus did not hate these people. They might have hated him. But he, he, he acknowledged they, they were the leaders. They're the ones who wanted to obey God. They just had God put in such a box. They didn't understand what, what God was all about. So he loved the religious hypocrites too, and he wanted them to know God, and he wanted them to surrender to what God was doing and to embrace the King, the Messiah that God had sent. But their hearts were too hard to, to listen. And I think one thing Jesus wanted these religious people to think about was to think of the commandments in terms of love and not just duty. It's easy to get really dutiful about following the rules, right? Following whatever God has said and following even often, even more than God said, right? All the way down to the letter. And they were dutiful, but they didn't reflect God's heart for humans, for people, for human need. And in their zealous adherence to the rules, I believe they forgot that God's commandments were actually motivated by love for them. And not just a way for them to assert their spiritual worth. So Jesus went ahead and healed the guy. And his hand was totally restored. His point was made. The Pharisees had no response. What could they possibly say? And in fact, they had set out to discredit Jesus. And now the tables are turned on them. And Jesus, by his action, has discredited them. And so in their hardness of heart, instead of rejoicing at the miracle. You know, when I read um, the next verses... They looked at, at, and they saw the man was restored, and at once the Pharisees went away and 
I, I would love to see that they, they went away rejoicing. They went away and they embraced Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. But no, sadly, they went out and plot, plotted to kill him. You know, ironically, Jesus had just asked them this question a minute ago. They refused to answer in words. Jesus had just asked them, is the Sabbath day a day to save life or to destroy it? Well, they gave their answer right there. They answered by their actions. They made the Sabbath day a day to seek to destroy. Now, just one more thing as we bring this home to talk about our culture that we live in today. See, we're talking about law on one side and love on the other side, you know, and we want to, the Bible keeps those in in a creative tension. They're not in opposition to each other. We saw how the Pharisees abused the law that God gave to Israel. God's law is good. We want to honor God with our lives. His law is good, and we should be obedient to what he says, but the Pharisees added to God's word, and the Pharisees elevated the rules above compassion, so they were abusing the law side of the equation. But love can be abused as well. And that's often more the, the spirit of the age that we live in. Yes, there's plenty of legalistic people, but on the other side, the error on the other side is to think that love is the ultimate thing that matters regardless of what God says about anything. And in this error, that, that kind of love has no ethical or moral grounding. So all that counts is just to care about people. No matter what honors God, no matter how God designed the world for their well-being, if they don't want to live that way, just love them. That's what the world says. And so the abuse of love is to think that it's unloving to be honest with people around us about what's right and wrong. It's unloving to tell people that their behavior is self-destructive or that it's out of step with God's best or or our, our culture thinks it's unloving to tell people that they need to repent and come to God for healing. And so there's an abuse on either side, but the two don't have to be in conflict. They're not meant to be in conflict by God. In religious systems, they often are in conflict, but we don't want to put the law over love or put love over the law either way. That's not how God has set it up. So, again, our topic today isn't really about Sabbath keeping. Now, of course, the Sabbath is there, and it's a, it, it describes for us, or it illustrates other issues. Our topic today really is about what pleases God and why we follow his commandments. But let me just mention, let me wrap up the Sabbath thing a little bit for you, but because in the New Testament, now that the Lord of the Sabbath has appeared, the one who has authority over the Ten Commandments, now that he has appeared, the Sabbath takes on a rather different shape in the New Testament than the Old Testament. It becomes less about a strict prohibition of work on a certain day of the week. By the way, Sunday is not the the Sabbath. Saturday was. We worship on Sunday for different reasons. The Sabbath takes on less of a strict prohibition of work on a certain day of the week. And, And the Bible, New Testament, talks more about Sabbath in terms of a spiritual rest that we have in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 in particular talks about the rest that we have when we let Jesus do all the work required for our salvation. The Sabbath principle of rest is applied in the New Testament to our relationship with God to say, you know, we don't have to work and strive and labor and, and push in order to be right with God. 
by doing all the things that we're supposed to do. But we rest in a spiritual Sabbath in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That he did everything when he went to the cross. He died there for our sins in our place and he rose again from the dead on the third day. He's done everything required for us to be right with God, for those who put their trust in him and in him alone. So in the New Testament, the Sabbath takes on that flavor more than the idea of keeping a certain time frame of the week holy. There's still the underlying principle of rest. We all need rest. God still gave us that provision for our well-being. We can't always do it on one day a week in the culture that we live in, take a whole day and, and just do nothing. It doesn't have to be. Maybe if you can, if you can do that. I have friends who take Thursday. It's their Sabbath. And they work their life around that day of rest and that day of dedication to God. Um, it's hard for me to take a whole day and set it aside, especially Sunday, because I work on Sunday. But it's more about the principle of rest, and it's certainly about the principle that Jesus reveals there about doing good and blessing others, right? So, beyond the Sabbath, yes, it does please God when we obey what he says, but it pleases God especially when we embrace the good that he has in mind for us so that we don't just obey the rules blindly or grudgingly or pridefully, but we, we say, yes, God, this is an expression of your love for me and this is an expression of my love for you. And it also pleases God when we are compassionate and care about people and their needs. But God wants you to thrive. God wants you to have a relationship with him where you experience all of his best, all that he created you for, that is not going to be found in legalism. And it's also not going to be found in just doing whatever you want, regardless of what God says. And so let's close by examining our hearts today. Some of you need to stop blowing off God's commandments. Some of you need to start living in obedience to him in your habits and in your relationships, and in your attitudes. But others of you, on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, need to change what your obedience means. You wanted to be obedient to him, but for you that's been a way of measuring yourself against others, or for you that's been a way of just checking off boxes on the list of duties. And so some of you need to start being obedient to God in your life. Others of you need to keep being obedient, but more out of love for him and for others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy to us. God, thank you that you care for us. You love us. That you're not up there just waiting for us to blow it so you can scratch our name off some list or that you can just kick us while we're down. Thank you, God, that you gave your commandments to help us thrive in a broken world. Beyond that, Father God, thank you that you gave us your son to die on the cross and rise from the dead to forgive us when we don't follow you, when we follow our own ways and our own opinions instead of yours. Father, thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to come work in us, to give us a new heart so that we actually can pursue you, we actually can follow you, and it's not a hopeless task. 
So Father, we just want to let you speak to us, speak to our hearts today about any area where we haven't been obedient to you. Maybe we're reaping some consequences for that. Father, we want to ask you to speak to our heart about our, our own motives, why we have been following you the way we do. Is it about me or is it about you? Father, as I've been legalistic, as I've judged other people, as I've wrongly been spiritually arrogant, we just ask your forgiveness, Father, and ask you to cleanse and change and transform me and each one of us into the people that you called to reflect your heart in this needy world. Make us those people, we pray today, in Jesus' name, for his honor and glory. Amen.